Eric Estep here. One of my favorite parts of being a NASCAR fan is collecting diecasts. It's how I got my start on YouTube, actually. To me, a room is not complete until it features shelves of NASCAR diecast cars. It's as good a time as ever to continue your collection or begin an all-new one by pre-ordering your favorite driver's 2022 next-gen diecast at LionelRacing.com or at any authorized Lionel retailer. Lionel is the official diecast of NASCAR, and don't miss Lionel Racing's NASCAR Authentics diecasts at a Walmart or Target near you. Not only is Lionel the official diecast of NASCAR, but they're also official supporters of the Out of the Groove Podcast Network. So what are you waiting for? Head to LionelRacing.com to order your favorite driver's 2022 diecast. Hey Ben, it's Eric. Hey Eric, it's Ben. Ben, how long have you been following NASCAR? A lifetime. Me too. How fitting then that we're the hosts of A Lifetime in NASCAR, a podcast that highlights NASCAR's illustrious history with analysis and anecdotes from myself, Eric Estep, and NASCAR historian Ben White. We're going to discuss with you some contemporary NASCAR topics and everything we've heard through the years. You'll learn about where the sport has been, where it will go, and the inside scoop on some of the craziest stories you'll ever hear. Welcome, everyone, to A Lifetime in NASCAR. This is episode 30, I believe. Ben had to correct me at the very beginning. I I thought we were on episode 29. I must have missed one in there somewhere. I've been very busy the last few weeks. But, Ben, it's great to see you again. My name is Eric Estep. I'm filling in as co-host today. But, Ben, uh, great to be back. Last time I was here was a couple of months ago. Uh, How have you been? What's going on? A lot of news out there. Tell you what, Eric, is there is a lot of news, and we're talking about some changes for the 2022 schedule for the Cup Series, and actually some big changes. I mean, they came out this week actually about the moving uh, the Bush Clash to the LA Coliseum, which I think is super big news. Gosh, that one came out of from out of left field, if you will, and uh, wow. I mean, we we heard a little bit of rumor from that a couple weeks ago, and. When I heard it, I was like, eh, I don't know how that's going to play. But then it became official this week, and it's like, that's that's big news to, to be able to race around. And the first thing that I thought about was, of course, the good old Bowman Gray Stadium in Winston-Salem, yeah. where uh, from 19, uh, say, 49, 50 to 1971, uh, NASCAR, back then was the Grand National Series, and uh, of course, that's called the Cup Series, but... A lot of really good racing up there. Richard Petty had many, many wins. And the trick to driving Bowman Gray up there was if you win the pole, you win the race, pretty much, because you couldn't get around anybody. (laughs) And that's a quarter-mile racetrack around a track uh, up there that, uh, you know, uh, Wake Forest University used to play there for many, many years until they built uh, uh, Grove Stadium. And now that's where they play. And I think uh, Winston-Salem, anyway, the point is, it's a tough, tough racetrack to drive. Modifieds are the big uh, type of yeah. racing, the premier races there. Tim Brown uh, just won his 11th Modified Championship at that racetrack this this past summer, August 21st, actually. And so, uh, back to LA Coliseum, they're going to put the, the, the new car on that one and go all the way to LA to race. And wow, it's just going to be a, a new, new venue for the for the Bush Clash. Absolutely. Yeah, we're just jumping right in. Bush Clash moving to the LA Coliseum is the huge news this week that everyone's talking about. And I, I want to ask you this, Ben, because you mentioned it there. It sounds like they're going to bring the new car, the next gen, this, these expensive, state-of-the-art, futuristic machines. They're going to put them on this sort of temporary, brand new quarter mile bull ring inside of a football stadium. Like you've seen a lot of races, more races than I have at Bowman Gray. So uh, are you worried at all about the, uh, I don't know, the cost to the teams? We'll talk about the logistics, sure, of, you know, traveling out to California and then back to Florida for the Daytona 500. But just, you know, putting these new cars, assuming that is in fact what they're doing around a little short track like this where tempers are going to flare it's going to be hard to get away from your competitors like what do you think the racing is going to look like at the coliseum well as far as cost of the car and the in the gen 7 that they're coming out with in a word yes (laughs) i mean if it were me and i was prez of nascar for a day i'd say look i would take 
what you had in 2021 and i would just go out there and just basically beat the crap out of it yeah <laughs> that's what's going to happen you're going to spend a ton of money on these these cars i know they want to uh debut the car uh, for the first time but mm. you know this is what they used to do at riverside international raceway which is a road course that was the first race of the cup series uh, season for many years and they would let you run the last car that you ran the year previous at the uh, at the road course and then they start the daytona 500 in the second race and let you run the new car well that's what they, i think they should do for this one i realize they want to debut the car yeah but to me it makes more sense to run an old car in an exhibition race because you're not going to get points out of it anyway and then in your biggest race the daytona 500 is where you should debut the new car they're going to beat the crap out of these cars on that quarter mile track there's no question about it and i i'm i'll make a prediction now to say bowman gray stadium's telephones are probably already ringing trying to get some test time because it's identical to what they're going to have out there these guys have never well i won't say never but these guys uh most likely had not ever driven on something that short but yeah to answer your your question i there's a lot of team owners out there taking some headache powders right now because <laughs> they're like you've got to be kidding me you're going to go and take my brand new car that we've massaged and worked on all year long and we've spent tons and tons of money on and then you're going to tell me i got to take it out there to a bowman gray type racetrack and beat the crap out of it i just i don't know i don't think that's a smart move yeah, I'm honestly I'm with you. Like like you said, I understand they're out in L.A. It's like the Fox's home, so they're gonna go all out. It's the week before the Super Bowl. I understand they want to promote the brand new car, the thing they've been hyping up for over two years now. But at the same time, I I, I know the new car is supposed to handle really well at short tracks. At least that's the theory. Drivers say it turns a lot better, so maybe it'll race really smooth at L.A. But I think. From a product standpoint, it's a short track. We want to see the drivers go all out. We don't. We don't want to see them, you know, be afraid to 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 go for it. We don't want to see them holding back. And if they're driving these brand new cars, you wonder if the team owners will be in their ear a little bit. Hey, I know this is a short track. I know it's, but it's just the clash. It's not an, even for points. Don't tear the car up. And we lead. It leads to more passive racing. Like I remember the beginning of the uh, the SRX this year. I don't know if you watched that first race, but I remember that first race. It felt like all the drivers were very timid because at the time, I don't think Ray Everham and Tony Stewart had that many cars built, and it sounded like they were kind of afraid to go out and tear too much equipment up in the first race. And I feel like that might be what we see at LA. Not that we want to see a bunch of wrecks. We don't necessarily want to see a demolition derby, but we no. want to see aggressive close quarters action, especially if you're going to go race at a quarter mile track, something that NASCAR hasn't done in you know, who knows how long. So if they were to put the Gen 6 cars, the current cars on track for that race, I think you'd see drivers, you know, not be afraid to go for it. They wouldn't hold back. And I think that would be a more fun race for the fans watching. Oh yeah, and that's for sure. And you know there was a lot of talk about the 1979 Daytona 500 being the first flag-to-flag -flag covered race on national TV. That's not correct. In 1971, uh, the uh, ABC Wide World of Sports showed a race at Greenville Pickens, uh, and it was flag-to-flag. -flag. I think it was 200 laps. But the drivers, the problem with it was they were, A, on national television, hmm. and, B, they were so timid about crashing too much that it really – they they didn't race as hard as they could because mm. they were going to make sure they had a great image on national television. It, it proved to be not so great a race, and uh, Bobby Isaac won it. And there was some some close action, but they only had like one or two cautions, and it turned out to be a yawner, to be honest. And I'm not saying that's what's going to happen at the LA Coliseum, but what in my experience in driving Bowman Gray. Uh, when I was way younger than I am now, and then watching a lot of races at Bowman Gray, you can't help but go into turn one, and you're going to crash a bunch of stuff. I'm sorry, <laughs> but it's going to happen. I mean, you can ask anybody. They call it the madhouse, yeah. and it's not just because they tagged it something. It's it, it gets crazy, and that's what's so wild about Bowman Gray. I mean, I'm not kidding you. They can pack the place 17,000 people, and they usually do every week from mid-June to late August because it's such a guaranteed, wild, crazy racetrack and the action. And it's not just because of the passing. It's because of the wrecks. Mm -hmm. And 
it's going to be the same thing in LA. And I just, you know, uh, kudos to NASCAR for, for trying to get us to new venues and, and the work they've done on the Gen 7. I'm not trying to be critical of what they're doing. I'm just saying, I think they should have gone back to the, the old Riverside mentality, run what you brung for one race, and then let's go debut this wonderful, grand, brand new car at their biggest venue, which is Daytona. They're, the car, they've spent a bazillion dollars on this thing trying to get it right. And they're going to tear up some stuff. Sorry, it's going to happen. Mm. And this is, I, I can't stress to you how tight a quarter mile racetrack is, especially a flat quarter mile track. And yeah. then you have a, at least in the Bum and Gray, I keep comparing it to that because that, that is exactly what it is. And it's, it's you, you know, you can have a steel guardrail around it. I've even seen cars jump the guardrail and go into the concrete, and they got to figure out how to get that thing back to the garage. <laughs> They've had to use double wreckers to pull it out back over the steel guardrails. I mean, I'm telling you, fans, folks, it's going to be, it's going to be action packed. As I'll yeah. give them that, it's going to be, it'll be worth the ticket for sure. Yeah, I think so. I, I'm curious, and I and I'm a, yeah, I, I support this move. I think it's worthwhile to try it go out to la fill this historic stadium where the first super bowl was ever played like i think this all looks great on paper and i think it'll look great on tv but you know it, the place seats over seventy thousand fans i hope they sell it out i think they're that's the goal but you just never know 77 i think a thousand seats is what this place fits and you look around the schedule these days there's only a few races a year that i think hit that number uh, as far as capacity so hopefully this is a big enough draw to get people out because that would be great to see on tv packed stadium for a, a crazy crazy race but you talked about it a little bit there ben what do you think of the logistics of actually building this track i was reading yesterday they're gonna you know it's gonna be paved it's gonna be i guess an asphalt track it's not gonna be a dirt track but they're gonna put down a layer of dirt around the outside you know in the lanes and they're gonna pave over that or however it's gonna work I, i'm not even sure i don't know enough about how tracks are put together to have any clue how this sort of temporary facility is going to work but uh, it is it's tighter quarters it's more compact than any other track currently on the nascar schedule like you know how is how is it going to work do you, what do you anticipate the format looking like because i doubt they're going to have any space for a traditional pit road they're going to have to have brakes they're going to have to you know what are they going to have to factor in to make this even real like feasible how's this even going to look well that's <clears throat> that's going to be interesting because okay you've got 40 cars uh, maybe 40 cars. Well, they might have to cut that. I think they'll have like 20 or 25 is probably what okay. I'm guessing. Well, it, that's it's an I'm sorry, yeah. I misspoke. I misspoke. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Th we're, we're thinking we're thinking clash. I apologize. You're right. So it won't be 40. It'll be like, you're right, 20, 25. Okay, mm -hmm. that helps. Um, yeah, and, you, and you're putting down, you're putting down a surface for them to race on. Uh, it's temporary still. Um, yeah, that's that's a tough question because you got to come up with a way to have that many cars come up uh, and race. We don't even know how far the race is going to be. Yeah, uh, as far as how long it's going to be. How many but laps, yeah. you got to come up. You got yeah. You got to come up with a, a a decent length of this of this race to make it feasible for all these race teams to go to travel all the way out to LA. I mean, you can't just have a 75 lap race <laughs> and say, Hey, bring your best stuff. Now think about what I'm saying here, bring your best race car that you spent a bazillion dollars on and bring it all the way out to the West coast to LA and let's run 75 laps to turn around and go home. <laughs> yeah. Well, you gotta have it. I'm sorry, but I, 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 I say you gotta have at least 150 laps at least probably on this thing. And, you know, and then you got to have you got to spend the money, of course, to build a surface that's going to be able to put up with that many laps. Mm -hmm. um, and we've seen times where, like, take take Bristol for instance. That was a challenge when they put dirt on it, uh, dirt on top of uh, of of a concrete and asphalt or a concrete surface. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I, I don't know how to answer the question really. It's going to be a challenge to between now and february to figure that out as to how to make this work and make it feasible for for your right 20 to 25 cars and again i misspoke when i said 40 because i had 40 on the brain <laughs> but yeah it's, it's still going to be a challenge and they're doing it in an area that's never been done before now to, to get into a little bit of history soldier field in chicago did have races in the 40s uh late 40s and you know fireball roberts uh you know, Tom Pistone, 
several other NASCAR drivers did did win some races up there, but it was already prepared. It was already a track up there, so they ran some, I think, some open wheel uh, races up there uh, at at Soldier Field. So they were prepared for it. This is you're talking about an area where they're going to put down a track uh, for the first time. So yeah, it's going to be. It's going to be interesting. Actually, July 21st, 1956, Fireball Roberts won a 100-mile race up at Soldier Field with 25 cars in that race. Okay. Okay. So a good comparison. The Billy standard's Myers, been set. Right. Standard's been set. Billy Myers, uh, I think, also won there and also at Bowman Gray. So, yeah, it's it'll be interesting. Breaks, breaks will be difficult. Uh, up there they got to come up with a way to stop the cars of course now there was a race uh, at mccormick field in Asheville, north carolina in the in the early 50s and it was built for baseball and hmm. so they put race cars on that track racing around the, the warning track in the dirt <laughs> yeah pretty much it was it was a dirt track that particular race lee petty actually lost control of his brakes and went into one of the baseball dugouts <laughs> wow and had to get a wrecker and pull his car out and get old lee he finished fourth in the race but they had to actually <laughs> dig his car out of the one of the baseball team's dugouts they didn't really like that too much because they had to go back and play baseball there again. Spilled the sunflower <laughs> seeds everywhere. That's uh, <laughs> right. Absolutely. Yeah. So, you know, they've tried various things at some of these little arenas and ballparks and things, but that was in an era before Darlington and, and before Atlanta and before some of the super speedways sprang up around. So, yeah, there were times when these arenas, these coliseums, these, these short tracks, or what NASCAR needed to do because it was too expensive to build racetracks in the early days. And other than the uh, the old picket fence, get out the bulldozer, dig out something to race on. And so to give fans a better experience, let's try Soldier Field, let's try Bowman Gray. And they were all football or, or baseball fields. And it's interesting how, how we're kind of going back to that, some of that kind of a deja vu, if you will going back to those types of racetracks. And here we go again in 2022 at LA Coliseum. Absolutely. I feel like we've also gotten ahead of ourselves for just a moment because I, I kind of how I feel about this and I'll share my thoughts as well. But I want to know um, from your perspective, the Bush Clash uh, or whatever you want to call it, the Bud Shootout, the Sprint Unlimited, the many different names it's had during its existence since 1979 was the first year of the Bush Clash, correct? Like ever since the beginning, it was held at Daytona. It was on the high banks on the big oval for the longest time until really until last year, they moved it to the Daytona road course. Like, a lot of fans have been asking for, I'd say at least a lot of the most vocal fans feel, seem to be asking for more short tracks, more of that type of uh, traditional NASCAR action, if you will. Um, but how do you feel about the change just from that angle, just moving it from Daytona? So not even at Daytona anymore, but now it's not even it, now it's a short track. It's a completely different venue across the country. Like, are you a fan of? switching it up to a short track are you a fan of leaving daytona or do you feel like it's kind of maybe a risk that's not not quite worth it well i i'll be honest with you i'm a traditionalist uh, all the way and it's tough for me to see all the changes that we're doing i understand nascar is trying very hard to get younger fans to come to races and that's what we mm. we're looking at a generational change i understand that I do understand that, but at the same time, me being the older guy, me being the one who grew up with this from age 11, it's it's difficult for me to, to know some of the things that are going on. To answer your question, no, I, I would love to see the Bush Clash remain at Daytona. Uh, and, and I'll tell you what how that all started. It started with pole position winners. If you want a pole mm -hmm. position, you're in the Bush Clash. If yeah. it meant 10 cars, and I think we did one year have 10 or maybe 10 cars in the race period. It got to the point that, and I'm being facetious and I'm being funny when I say this and I'm just, I'm joking, but it, it's gotten to the point where if you have a, if you have a pulse, you're in, if your grandmother had a pulse, you're in. If you've bought a charter, you, you're basically in, it feels like. <laughs> if, if you have a bull, if you once had a bulldog and, and a cat, you're in. I mean, it's, 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 it's like, okay. Somehow or another, and I understand, you're trying to get 
more people in the race to get more fans to come to the racetrack to get more spots. I get. It. I was sure, being funny, yeah. facetious when I said that. But but you're right. But it I'm is saying, it is that you know that it's kind of taken away some of the charm of what that event was because the All Star right. race was you know race winners and you know they've also amended that to include like past champions and other things as well. But like right. that that is what gave the shootout the the clash. It's its own unique identity but but yeah it's a business it's always a business but but you know it has removed some of the charm i think you're you're kind of right it there. has i mean I, I and i'm i'm talking about the first the book the bush class of 79 80 81 it's like it was just about winning pole positions and who who was the fastest so if you're going to make it who is the fastest you ran something like that at daytona right mm, because you sense. get 200 mile an hour speeds okay so Let's go, what, 20, I can't add. I never have been able to. 25 years, 30 years later, okay? I'll save myself. <laughs> so we're going to a a short track in L.A., a coliseum. All right, it's, it's a way to bring that market into the NASCAR fold, all right? I, I, I see where they're headed. I see what they're doing. And let's, but I also am smart enough to say, I'm a traditionalist, but I'm also smart enough to say if, if there's a new venue, let's try it. I'm speaking out of both sides of my mouth here. Yeah. If if okay, let's try it. Let's see what happens. But let's be smart enough to realize if something's not working, then don't keep doing it, hoping that someday it's going to work. If it's not working, it didn't work. There was yeah. something else I want to bring up too, and I'm all, I realize I'm all over the map here. Oh no, you're good. You're right. I feel but, like we're right on topic. <laughs> okay. Back in 1986. NASCAR came up with something called a left and right car. And a lot of people don't remember this, but it was a very small, um, sort of like a Ford Capri, uh, Chevy, gosh, what was Chevy's equivalent to that? It was a really small car, but it was supposed to be a left and right car. It was supposed to be a, a small road course car. And they came up with that and they tested that and they tried that and it didn't work and it never made it to the racetrack and so okay they were smart enough to realize we're our drivers aren't happy with it we're not happy with it it's not doing what we thought it would so they never ran it but i do distinctly remember they had what it was called a left and right car okay so let's go back to la if this works and they try it let's give it a three-year plan if it works great if it doesn't work, let's try it in 22, 23, and 24. But let's be smart enough to think they loved it for three years and then and they decided not to do it anymore. Okay, I admire you for that. If you let's move it somewhere else, or let's try it. Let's go back to Daytona with it. Sometimes you get in these situations like, man, if we just try it one more time, one more time, one more time, yeah. it, it's not working and. So that's just my th my thoughts. I, I'm a traditionalist. I, I wished it could have stayed at Daytona, but to answer your question, but okay, let's let's see where we head with it. Let's let's try it. Let's see what happens. It might be a great might be a great thing, and it might stay there, and it might fans may pack the place. And, we, and this is what I'm sorry, I'm rambling, but this is what happens. You know, every time you go somewhere new, like the the Brickyard in '94, or like Darlington in 1950, or a new venue i mean yeah it, people are curious they want to see what's going to happen and so they pack the place and and you hope it remains that way and they and the in the case of the, of the brickyard it remained that way for about 10 years and it started dropping off dropping off and dropping off so we'll see it, it, it might be fun to see and might might work out very well yeah i think i think there's two possibilities i think what you're you're suggesting is very possible that even if it starts to falter it, it kind of goes the way of of the brickyard the brickyard for about 10 years there seemed to be kind of fading and fading it was kind of painful to watch year after year less and less people showing up and then finally they they changed it i guess for better or worse mm -hmm. um but i also think there's a possibility let, let's say they go to the, the to LA next year. Well, they are going to LA next year, but let's say it's packed. Let's say they sell out. Let's say it gets solid TV ratings. See, everyone's happy. It's a good deal. Um, and then year two, it's you know still pretty good, but maybe not quite as good. Year three, it's it's you know still good. There's a possibility they they jump off in 2024, 2025. That audiences uh, these days they they they're very fickle. I feel like they're very quick to move on to the next thing. Like you do something new and exciting. 
And after two or three years, even if it's still fairly successful, people are already going to be asking, okay, what's next? Like, we've done this for three years now. Can we do something new? Like, I I almost think, you know, NASCAR and and I think everything has always been kind of rooted in tradition where, you know, there are certain races, there are certain events that go on for 20, 30, 40 years. And, you know, they just because they are, that's just how it always has been. And that's part of their charm. That's why people show up. But I, I almost think it's shifted very suddenly to where, you saw this with the playoffs. NASCAR changed the playoff format every two or three years, never gave the playoffs a chance to actually, or any specific format, a chance to actually take root within the fan base and maybe earn some legitimacy. Since it was being changed every three years, nobody really took it that seriously because nobody really saw any playoff format as the true future. So mm-hmm. I, I feel like there's a possibility of them going that way with the clash as well, which could be, maybe that's a good thing. Everyone's always asked, or not everyone, but a lot of people have asked for the all-star race to rotate or the championship race to rotate. Like, you know, one year the all-star race is in Charlotte, next year try Bristol, next year try Martinsville, you know, that, that kind of thing. Maybe the Bush clash sort of becomes that. I don't know. I think you need that balance. I think you need consistency mm-hmm. in the schedule. I think if you can get a, a winning event that is you know, every year, you know what month it's going to land on. You know kind of what weekend it's going to land on. People can plan their trips months, years in advance and kind of right. circle it as a bucket list event to attend. I think you need a lot of that on the schedule as well, which NASCAR has usually had. But um, we'll see what happens, what the future of the Bush Clash at the L.A. short track turns into. I, I mean, I'm excited for it as well. I, mm-hmm. I, I like the idea of trying a new market out like this and i also like where it lands on the schedule of uh being right there before the super bowl it's it's that dead week between like the uh, afc and nfc championship games and uh the super bowl it's kind of and the super bowl is in los angeles as well so you might you're gonna already have a lot of media a lot of sports fans maybe some celebrities already kind of in the area you can do a lot of promotional stuff leading up to and during the race i think it's possible i think it's a a decent idea but who knows? It, it could it could fall flat on its face and be gone in a year. <laughs> right. Well, see, here's another part I just thought of too, Eric, and that is, okay, let's be fair to NASCAR. And I don't have this information in front of me, and I'm not privy to it. I don't know how many people have been going to the Bush Clash at Daytona over the past, say, five years. The, the attendance for it down there may not be great. So, you know, to be fair to NASCAR, they might feel like, Okay, Ben, you're a traditionalist, but we're not getting the fans there. Yeah. So we need to move it somewhere else. We need to put some more energy behind it. So let's be fair to NASCAR. Maybe they need to do that. So, but I, I can't help it. I'm, I'm going to live and die by the traditions, and I, I'm just that way. I, you know, some things I just think need to remain where they are. It's it's almost like, well, we need to move the Daytona 500 to Michigan or something. It's like, no, you don't. I mean, don't, you know. <laughs> And that, that brings up another, sorry, ten, give me give me 20 seconds here. I'm not a big go, fan go of moving it. these. I hate the fact that they're moving the number to the fender <laughs> area. It's like, all right, look, here's the deal. Change anything else you want to change, okay? But good grief, leave the number in the middle of the door. It's like, come on. You got you to not change everything. Stop changing things. At least don't change that. It's like telling you know tom brady hey tom brady guess what we're gonna play with a round football today and we're gonna paint it orange just because we can't stop changing at least leave one thing leave one thing alone and that is leave the number in the middle of the door that's just my opinion they're not going to they're going to change it yeah but uh, anyway i just that's just a fundamental cornerstone of our sport and i just i'm sorry I apologize to anybody who doesn't like my opinion, but I'm just a traditionalist. You got to keep the number in the middle of the door. My big thing and, is 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 keep the numbers large, like because I'm I'm kind of like you. I do think it's one of those changes that was not obviously nobody was asking for it. No, no fans were like, oh yeah, you know, you know, what really needs to change is the number in the center of the door. I'm getting tired of seeing that thing there. It's too symmetrical. Move, move. Nobody was asking for that. Uh, you know, they say it's for more sponsor space. We'll see if teams actually take advantage of it. I'm skeptical, quite honestly. So I'm with you there. But my big rule is as long as it's still large and it's not so far over up on the fender that it's like warped kind of, you know, because the, the, side, the size of these cars are not perfectly smooth, not perfectly flat. If it's like distorted, you see like a, the four on Kevin Harvick is like twisted a little bit that's going to be bad but hopefully they don't slide them forward too heavily but i'm with you it does feel like one of those changes like at the end of the day it's a cosmetic change that isn't really going to affect the on-track product but 
NASCAR is a spectator sport and spectators are going to be spectating the location of that door number 36 times a year next season and beyond. And I think that does matter. The look, the appeal, the look of the cars has long been one of the greatest appeals of NASCAR, in my opinion. And you change that, you run the risk of frustrating people who, like you said, it didn't need to change. I don't think that was on any high on anyone's list of things that need to be adjusted. But I think they're just full on committed to this rebrand of it's the next gen era. And we want to make sure people know it's the next gen era. When they open their textbooks in 40 years, they want to be able to easily distinguish between 2022 NASCAR and 2021 NASCAR for better or worse. I I don't know. It's, it's something, it's something. Yeah. Okay. I'm done with that now. (laughs) (laughs) Well, the LA Coliseum will get the Bush clash next year. I'm glad that we spent like the first half of the episode talking about that. Cause that is the big news. That is shocking. That's, that's crazy. Have you ever been to to the LA Coliseum for anything? I have not. I've been to LA a few times when uh when i was in the area for races and such but no i have not ever been there no i know it's it's held so many historic i mean mainly football games and olympic events and things like that but no i have not i've not been there either either way it'll be cool to see uh nascar return or not return but you know back in la i guess return to la they missed it this year but uh kind of head back to a to a short track a brand new short track that NASCAR has never seen before. I guess it is kind of like returning. Like you said, they raced in a stadium in the 40s. So, <laughs> yeah. Well, what I will say this, though, they did run at Ontario Motor Speedway uh, for oh, the better part of a decade uh, from like 79 to 85. I, I'm not sure about the years there, but in the mid 80s from 70. Yes. Yeah, no, I'm sorry. I was wrong. It was uh, throughout the 70s to late 80, like 1980, I think was the last year. Mm -hmm. But here's the funny thing about it. If you go to Ontario, California, you will not find a a trace of that racetrack. Hmm. It's so amazing. They have, it is gone. It looked just like Indianapolis Motor Speedway. And you could, you would really scratch your head trying to find it. I think there's like, 15 feet of it left and you have to look for it really hard it's in the middle of an apartment complex amazing amazing racetrack and it's no longer there interesting reminds me i was at disney world recently and i was like in the parking lot trying to see if i could find any remnants of disney world speedway that got tore down i guess six seven eight years ago you couldn't find it they 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 hid that thing quickly (laughs) over there Just literally a parking lot now. Well, uh, moving on, we can talk a little bit more about some of the other schedule changes because I do want to hear your perspective on this as well. Um, As of the time of recording this, the 2022 NASCAR Cup Series schedule has not officially been revealed, but many of the details have already been leaked. Um, One of the biggest changes, one of the new tracks, really one of the only new tracks besides the LA Coliseum being added to the schedule next year is Gateway. Have you ever been mm-hmm. to Gateway? Have you ever been there for trucks or IndyCar? Honestly, I have never been to Gateway. I've seen it on on broadcast many times. It looks like a really good racetrack, and I'm trying to think of a track to sort of compare it to. Yeah, that's what I was maybe, trying to do. Maybe maybe Richmond. Yeah, maybe. Uh, that's the first one that comes to my mind, but it's it's, but it's, it's like bigger. a really neat racetrack. It's it's bigger because it's weird. It's a one and a quarter mile long track, which is I, I mean closest comparable, I guess, to Darlington, which is a little over one and a third mile long. But Darlington's mm-hmm. got those high banks. Obviously, it's very fast. Uh, Gateway, it kind of races like a short track. It's like a larger almost like a larger Martinsville with how heavy they have to be on the brakes to get through the flat corners or Richmond, I think is a fair uh, comparison as well. But uh, how do you feel about gateway? They're bringing a lot of the road courses back next year. I know NASCAR obviously has a history at road courses and obviously at short tracks, but now that's seems to clearly be the, uh, the focal point of this next generation era. Oh yeah. I think gateway is going to be a great addition to the schedule. It's, it's somewhere new. They've run, the uh, I believe the truck series there, yeah. Xfinity series there. Uh, yeah, I think it's going to be great. It's a, I guess you call Midwest racetrack. Uh, seems to race well. Uh, a lot of drivers like it. So it's 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 time tested. Uh, easy to get to, from what I understand. So yeah, I think I think fans would love it. Drivers would love it. They've already got notes as far as how to how to test. It's not like they're going to a brand new racetrack. So yeah. I think drivers would would really like racing there. A lot of them have experience there from being in the Xfinity Series. So yeah, it's going to be good to to add it to the schedule. And I don't know that I know the track officials and track uh, people there are certainly excited about it. 
Because Gateway, it's independently owned. It's not owned by ISC NASCAR or anything like that, right? It's owned by uh, just like a guy, right? Uh, I should have looked this up. you're correct. I'm not sure. It's, I, believe I, be, you're, I believe you're right. Yes. I, I don't. It's not owned by ISC is what I'm pretty sure about. But other than that, I don't actually know who owns it. We probably should have looked that up beforehand. But either way, it's pretty cool to see a new date, uh, a new track on the schedule, a new date for them. Also, I noticed, though, Pocono is losing a date. Were you surprised at all to see Pocono is only going to have one race next year? How do you well, feel about that? Sad a little bit. I've always enjoyed going to Pocono. It's a very unique racetrack with only three turns, not four. Yeah. And, you know, it, they tried, uh, I think maybe the writing was on the wall a little bit this year because they tried a Saturday-Sunday event. Yeah. Uh, now, you know, Pocono is not positioned in the greatest of places, maybe, as far as getting to it. Um, it's it's not bad, though. I shouldn't say that. I mean, it's, it's, it's a track that I've enjoyed going to many times. Uh, yeah, started off, I believe, as far as the Cup Series in 74, a lot of people don't realize that uh, when coming back from the East Coast and the, the first time that they raced there in 74, uh, Richard Petty was going, coming back from the uh, the West Coast, and he raced and stopped in and entered an ARCA race at, at Pocono and actually won it. And uh, I believe maybe in 73, I should correct myself. And then they came back and the next year ran the first cup race in 74. But, yeah, he, they were having an ARCA race, and he said, I'll just go and enter that, and he won it. So how about that? And the 43 SCP car. That's pretty wild. Well, I hope yeah. next year, since they are only getting one date, I hope they pack it full of cup, Xfinity trucks, maybe bring ARCA back on the same weekend, hopefully give those fans uh, a full um, a full weekend of action, a bunch of different shows, a bunch of events to, uh, to, to watch and enjoy. But a lot of oh, changes yeah. to the schedule. Yeah, it'd be good. I think so. Yeah, for sure. A lot of changes to the schedule. The theme of this show has been changed, but that's what we do here on A Lifetime in NASCAR. We discuss how things have changed over the years. And uh, I know this is episode 30, and I know what you guys often do on this show is you kind of pick out uh, a specific car number, usually in line with the number episode we're on. And speaking of things that have changed drivers many times through the years, car number 30. Uh, there's no 30 in the Cup Series today, uh, and we even had to look this up beforehand because we weren't sure if anyone had actually won in the 30 car before. Because when I think of the 30, I think of like Michael Waltrip, who I believe has made the most starts out of anyone in the Cup Series in that number car. Um, but we found that Speedy Thompson, right, in what year was it? 1950, I had it pulled up. 1955 won at Martinsville. Uh, that's the only win in NASCAR, I guess, Cup Series, what is today known as the Cup Series action yeah. in car number 30's history. But uh, what drivers stand out to you? Any stories stand out to you about the number 30 in NASCAR? Well, I think the one driver that I, that I always associate number 30 with would be Michael Waltrip driving for uh, Chuck Ryder in the 90s with the pencil sponsorship you yeah. know, and Country Time, I think, is one, another mm-hmm. one he had. Just, you know, sometimes you just, when you associate a number with somebody, obviously the three with Dale Earnhardt, but uh, yeah, just Michael Waltrip ran the car number 30 for, for a lot of years. And it's just one of those numbers we, you know, we picked out several numbers uh, throughout doing the show that for whatever reason just didn't win that much with them. And, you know, something uh, you know, David Pearson told me this years and years ago, he said, uh, that the lower number that you have on the car, for whatever reason, is lucky as far as winning. And I didn't <laughs> know that. So he told me that in the early 80s. He oh. said, yeah, the lower the number, the better shot you have at winning oh. a race. I said, why is that? He said, it's always been that way from day one. So, so if you had number car number one, two, three, four, anything in the top ten is what drivers had gone for. Well, and then, and then Richard Petty came and kind of bucked that trend a little bit. But I guess aside from the 43, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's true. And I know, yeah, he, he's like killed that, you know, and I want to say, I should have said, well, have you talked to Richard Petty lately <laughs> about that? But uh, yeah, and uh, but yeah, a lot of a lot of drivers have tried to get that lower number, you know, Rusty like number two and, mm-hmm. and you know, Dale Earnhardt ran number two, of course, early on. And yeah. But yeah, that was the, the deal. And so number 30, I don't know. It was just a number that NASCAR assigned to Chuck Ryder and, and Michael drove it for many years. But no, the number 30 has only got that one victory that we can find with Speedy Thompson. And then, and I believe we were we established Carl Kikafer was the team owner. Yeah. And he was a gentleman who came into NASCAR for about three years. He was sort of the Rick Hendrick of the 1950s. He, he uh, 
I had the big trucks and and he would load up this three and four and five cars and get the best drivers and have the most money and the best equipment and he won everything in sight and disappeared he just left and didn't like nascar's rules and didn't get along with bill france senior all that well and he said fine i'm done i'm gone and he never came back but he (laughs) he was very uh, prominent in the uh, building of uh motorboat engines and uh yeah, and, and made a lot of money. Uh, he was originally from Germany and uh, came over and just very precise, very, very precise about building uh, his products. And, and here's a little track fact for you. Bobby Allison, before he ever became a race car driver, actually worked for Carl Kiefer as a floor sweeper, runner of parts, wow. uh, and uh, went up to Wisconsin to uh you know get some parts for for him and uh you know from time to time and it was a story about he he ran mercury's on the racetrack and bobby had a 1956 chevrolet and he wouldn't let bobby park his 56 chevrolet in the parking lot of his factory because it was a chevrolet (laughs) and so he made him move his car every time he came to work and uh that kind bobby wasn't but mm, 17 18 at the time and so, uh, but he wouldn't let him park in the parking lot. So he made him move it every time. So this little, little trivial track fact there, but long that's before Bobby was in the Cup Series, he was running short tracks. But uh, but that's what, that was his job is to work and be a parts runner and floor sweeper. So there you go. Interesting. Interesting where the legends get their starts, I guess. That's pretty cool. Uh, I'm looking at the list of other drivers who've driven the 30. Walter Ballard, Dave Marcus, David Stremme, Johnny Benson. Uh, that that kind of just sparked something off the top of my head. Did you? I saw uh, this week, I saw it on Twitter, but uh, Carson Hosevar in the Truck Series is running a really cool, very accurate um, Johnny Benson. Uh, that, that Lightning, um, I think it was XI as the sponsorship, uh, throwback actually this weekend at Bristol. So kind of a callback to Johnny Benson, who's a former what year did he win the truck series championship i think it was like 2008 i think um i should have looked at it beforehand but it was it was was in the craftsman truck series days either way i thought that was a pretty cool i wasn't sure if you'd seen it it was neat that it was so accurate to the uh to the original paint scheme but other drivers uh jeff green Derek cope steve park johnny you know a few starts here and there but yeah michael waltrip definitely eats up the bulk of the time in the 30 car um but pretty cool to see where that number has gone, where it hasn't gone, only one time to victory lane. Uh, we'll see if that number ever makes a resurgence in the NASCAR Cup Series world. Um, so before we uh, b- begin to wrap things up this episode, I wanted to talk about this for a moment because I saw an interesting article uh, by Jeff Gluck today or earlier this week in The Athletic. And it was in a conversation he had or an experience he had with William Byron and Max Pappas over at the uh, GoPro Motorplex um, go-kart track. I assume it's in Charlotte. I've never been, but because I always see drivers there. I assume it must be in Charlotte, North Carolina. Uh, but he, he documented, you know, he was following William Byron around and he was asking William Byron why he goes to this track and races go-karts so much. And he noted a few other drivers uh, through history and even modern day, like Ty Gibbs goes out there a lot. And you know, William Byron says that racing these go-karts, just running laps, things like that, helps him a ton on Sundays in his NASCAR Cup Series car. And it's like, how could that be? Because a go-kart and a Cup Series car, you'd think they would handle and drive completely differently. And they, they do but I thought it was interesting in the article he talked or Byron talked about how the adjustments he might make to his go-kart do in some ways translate to the Cup Series car especially at the lower downforce racetracks the slicker racetracks things like that and I thought it was really interesting so uh, because I knew I was recording this with you today uh, I wanted to ask you if you knew any stories uh, about drivers how drivers and you know 20 30 40 years ago how drivers may have stayed loose during the week when they didn't have access to like the team's car and obviously the cup series tracks at the time like what did drivers do back in the day i guess to continue to practice and hone their skills when they weren't at the racetrack on race weekend well eric i think the 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 ones that really come to mind uh you know bobby allison i mentioned him just a few minutes ago but one of the things he loved to do is, is never turn down the opportunity to drive a short track in between the cup series and so he'd fly all over the united states uh, racing and that was probably his way of just you know being staying loose and being ready to to compete i don't i know he didn't like to sit around from say monday to thursday or friday between cup races Uh, i know david pearson did some short track stuff dale earnhardt did when he could uh most in those days uh there was a lot of opportunities for 
for the cup guys to go to the short tracks. Uh, I know Davey Allison did some of that. And of course the promoters loved it because they could say, Hey, Davey Allison's going to run the late model race for Bobby or, or Kale even did some of that too. Uh, they, they, you know, these are racers. They couldn't, just couldn't stand being out of a race car. And of course the promoter would pay them nice money to come fill up the stands, the local guys would get a chance to race against them on a Saturday, well, not maybe not a Saturday night, but say a Tuesday night, Wednesday night, and uh, have a superstar come to their racetrack. So that was kind of their way of doing it in those days. And of course, they wanted to make sure they had top equipment. They didn't want to put, <laughs> yeah. uh, have, take a chance on getting in a bad car, of course. But yeah, they just, the, I know from experience being as close to friends as I am with Bobby, he absolutely loved getting in anything he could. And a lot of those cars were his own cars. He would have uh, someone take uh, a car uh, to a particular racetrack and he would fly from, say, a cup venue to that. Uh, to that track and even fly back to the cup venue if he could mm. say on a friday night for instance he would fly from say charlotte to oh i don't know a, a south carolina track or georgia track and then fly back to charlotte for the cup race so yeah he just loved to do that and i know a lot of the cup, the cup guys, guys did but uh and one thing i wanted to say before we uh, end the show i want to correct myself on something just a minute ago i didn't have it pulled up in front of me we were talking about Ontario Motor Speedway, mm-hmm. and and I I was not clear on the years, and I apologize for that, but I have it have it now, 1971 to 1980 was when the Ontario Motor Speedway was in operation, and again it was a linen cloth and china kind of place. It was just like Indianapolis Motor Speedway. It was a sort of out of its element, out of its time. Uh, it just it would fit very well in today's arena as far as. Uh, being a cut track today but mm. back then the, the it just couldn't survive it needed to be filled up every time that the gates opened to to pay the bill of building the track it was very expensive but the first year in 71 aj Foyt won at 72 aj 70 uh 74 didn't run in 73 74 bobby allison 75 buddy baker 76 was david pearson 77 neil bonnet got his first cup series win i believe 77 was uh i said bonnet 78 bobby allison again 79 benny parsons and 1980 benny parsons and then it it closed because of financial difficulties but for that's a pretty accomplished list of winners right there though that is the the cream of the the crop (laughs) sure was and just a phenomenal racetrack i never was there to see it uh, but I, you know, I've seen video and stuff. But yeah, I just I wanted to make sure I was clear on that for for nine races from '71 to 1980, uh, Ontario was was in operation. Beautiful racetrack, but if you if you went there today, you couldn't find it. It was just like you were talking about Disney. It just just is <laughs> gone, and it's so sad because it was just a beautiful, beautiful racetrack. How big was that track? Was it a short, like a half mile, or how big was what, that? What are you talking about, Ontario? Yeah, Ontario. No, actually, it was the size of Indianapolis Motor Speedway. Oh, it was big. It was, oh, okay. Oh, my God, it I missed was that. And it was, it was designed to be the West Coast Indianapolis Motor Speedway. It was designed That makes by, sense why uh, it's so expensive, then. It took up a lot of space. <laughs> it did, and it was, it was so in the red when they cut the ribbon, you know, that it was just like... Okay, we got to fill the stands so many days out of the year for the next ten years to make mm-hmm. to pay the bill. And all these movie stars came out for the premiere, Kirk Douglas and oh gosh, I mean all these big big stars cool. to try to promote it and make it work. And you know James Garner and all these people came out, and it was it was deeply deeply in the red from the day they opened the gates, and they just couldn't make it fly. But, Dang. you know, had open wheel indie cars there. They had stock cars. I think they even had some drag races there. Uh, carnival tie or circus event, uh, concerts, anything they could do to, yeah. to make a dollar and it just could make it float. But a beautiful track. And that's one I wish I could have seen out there. Um, it reminds me of a little bit of Texas World Speedway, which is only about an hour and a half away from where I'm living. But kind of the same thing. It was a two mile track, sort of a. I think a slightly higher banked version of Michigan, honestly. And uh, I think it's in the process still of being torn down. NASCAR hasn't raced there since I think, I think around the same time, I think they stopped racing there around the same year. Might've been 1981 was the, the about the same, close to the same time they uh, left Ontario. 
Right. And some real quick, some of these tracks back in the in that era, late seventies, I think Michigan was built in sixty nine originally. And the, the, it was just an era where there was such a grandiose dream of building these tracks, mm-hmm. but the finances just weren't there. Yeah. And when, when Roger Penske bought uh, Michigan International Speedway in 74, I believe, he bought it for a song and a dance on the courthouse steps at an auction. <laughs> and he bought it as a test track to bet, to test American Motors Matadors, just as a test track. <laughs> And he sold it for a hundred times, basically what he bought it for. That's uh, business. Late years later, and he just bought it for I can't remember the number, but it was like two, three million, four million. I mean, it's like a low, low number. <clears throat> Pardon me. And and he sold it for a gazillion dollars, like a hundred times what he paid for it. And, but he just bought it just to test American Motors cars. Wow, and it's crazy. And. Some people have all the luck, right? <laughs> yeah, you, that's how they get where they are. They see a good yep. deal, they find the good deals, and they take advantage of them. Yeah, sure that's do. super interesting. Yeah, I wish Texas World Speedway still existed. Uh, I think like the grandstands may still be standing, but the rest of it's been turned into subdivisions. But that's what's crazy. It's such a big track that like part of it's still there, but part of it's a full-on neighborhood. It's it's racetracks have always had that unique challenge of being massive. That's why like Indianapolis Motor Speedway maximizes the space. They put a museum in there. They put a golf course in there. They have a, 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 a dirt track right inside of the main speedway. Sometimes that's mm. what you got to do. You got to do to, to maximize the space. I love those images when they always show like, look at how many baseball stadiums fit inside of Daytona. And it's like 20 and it, it is kind of crazy <laughs> yeah. when you see it, it but it's yeah, just, yeah. It, it's, you can always count on TV to reference, you know, how big these places are. Um, yeah, for sure. That's interesting. Well, sure. uh, fun to talk about tracks. And I know we talked a little bit there about drivers training in the past. And you said something, you, what you said about Bobby Allison and other drivers who had raced during the week and stuff reminds me a lot of what Kyle Larson does today, who's you know mm-hmm. one of the most successful drivers in NASCAR right now, at least. Uh, even some other guys like Kyle Busch, you'll see him occasionally pop up at a short track during the week. You see a lot of truck and Xfinity drivers do it. Kyle Busch has it like, you know, his own late model program. You know, are there any, you know, are there any drivers today that you ever that you think you know, are doing a good job of, I don't know, kind of doing like what you said, going to short tracks and helping boost their notoriety? We just talked about a couple of tracks that closed down. Obviously, those are bigger tracks, but like short tracks that are trying to stay afloat. How big a deal is it when guys like Kyle Larson or Kyle Busch or whoever go race there during the week? I, I think it's huge right now because sadly, we've seen some tracks that were what I think cornerstones of short tracks mm-hmm. not there anymore. I think Myrtle Beach yeah. Speedway recently closed, and there's some politics involved in that. And and it's generational, I think, is what it is, because in, in my generation, it was a great thing to go and, and see races on Saturday nights where I think some of the younger generations aren't really into that as much, sadly. And But, but I go, again, I go back to Bowman Gray uh, because it is so phenomenal the fact that they uh, are able to fill the place um, each each Saturday from like June to mid-August or late August, and and we're talking fourteen to seventeen thousand every Saturday night is amazing. If you want to just go to a great race venue, go to Bowman Gray, but just just to enjoy the crowd, enjoy the food, enjoy uh, the action. They have a street stock, and they have a I think a uh, a stadium stock and they have the modified modifies the premier yeah. uh, uh, event there, but the whole atmosphere, it's, it's a free parking thing. It's, it's, uh, the food's good. The racing's good, but, but what I'm not trying to just promote the track, but I'm just saying in a world where it's so difficult to get people interested in short track racing, they're doing something right because <laughs> it is to see that many people on a Saturday night. But, but like Tim Brown was telling me, we had a phone conversation the other night about for an article I wrote for our local paper. He said, look, you can take a family of four to Bowman Gray for the same amount of money. You can go to see a movie. And he's right because there's the, the ticket prices are low. The food is not out outrageously high and the, the racing action is very good and and it's just like you got you know people this group for him and this group for burt myers and this group for this guy and that guy and they get pretty intense about the guy they're pulling for and it's been that way 
for many years. And I was talking to Rex White recently about how he and Lee Petty got into a pretty intense uh, action back when the Cup guys were there, Grand National guys. He said he just put him right over the fence and <laughs> right over into the right over into the concrete. I mean, every, what I'm saying is every ever since they started racing at Bowman Gray, it has been intense racing action. And hey, if you go race it at uh, LA Coliseum. There's absolutely no reason why you couldn't run a cup race at Bowman Gray again, right? I, I, think I mean, come on. Let, this is that's the test, yeah. And very quickly, Eric, this is the last time, the last time they ran at, at Bowman Gray in 1971, NASCAR didn't have enough cup cars. They let the Grand American cars run there, okay? Bobby Allison was running a Grand American car. So Bobby wins the race in a grand american car and they said no no you can't you were in a grand american car you didn't win the race so it was like wait you let me start the race mm-hmm. but i'm in the wrong car now and you're gonna let richard petty win so bobby should have 85 wins but they won't let him have the win so this debate has been going on for 40 years so he's tied with Darrell Waltrip in 84, and I think that's partly why they won't let him have the win. But they <laughs> let him start the race in a Grand American car at Bowman Gray, but they didn't let him win in a Grand American car after they said he could start. So this has been going on for a long time. So Bowman Gray has a rich history. Of, we've talked a lot about Bowman Gray because of L.A. Coliseum. I predict that in the next few months, you're going to have a lot of guys wanting to go to Bowman Gray to test some way in the dark of night to get prepared for L.A. Coliseum because it's identical to what they're going to be facing when they get out there. And uh, I just think, you know, that that's a a proving ground for what they're going to face when they get out because there's no other place like it. And it's right here in their backyard. So don't be surprised if you if you see some articles or scuttlebutt or some kind of something saying that they were testing at Bowman Gray. Keep our ear eyes and ears open. I, I'd love to see NASCAR run a Cup race at Bowman Gray because I think you're right. If this works, I think it proves that it's possible. And uh, you, know, you know, people will say Bowman Gray only has you know, like you said, fifteen, seventeen thousand seats. You know, every, that's like half of the lowest other NASCAR track on the schedule. But yeah, I, did you? I don't know if you watched it, but a few weeks ago, Major League Baseball played a game in a cornfield in Iowa. It was the Field of Dreams game based around the hmm. classic movie. No, I did. That's cool. They they did it and they, it was a, it was it was a made for TV spectacle. There was maybe 10,000 fans in the stands, which is low for an MLB game. You know, most stadiums seat 30, 40, 50,000 people. So they they accepted that it was going to be a smaller in-person crowd. I'm sure those tickets were expensive, but the TV audience was it was the most viewed regular season baseball game in 16 years. I think NASCAR should take a page out of that book and say, "Hey, we may only sell 10,000 seats at Bowman Gray." Or 17,000, whatever it is, but we mm-hmm. might get the largest TV viewership in years if we're able to, you know, build it up right, if we're able to promote it properly and, uh, you know, put on the spectacular racing the track is known for. I think, the, I think the field of dream game, the combination of the MLB field of dreams game and, uh, potentially the LA Coliseum race, I think that tandem could lead to a NASCAR Cup event at Bowman Gray or something very similar uh, in the future. Uh, I think it's possible. I think that's a great, great point that you make. And I, you know, I don't see why it couldn't be done. I think it's not all about money, in my opinion. It's about enjoyment of the fans. If you're putting fans first and you're trying to get fans back, it's not about money. Everything else will fall into place eventually if you just start there. I totally agree. And I think they've learned that because they – there was a time when it was about making, you know, getting this this market, that market. Well, now we're seeing what Auto Club's building a half mile track inside of the big <laughs> yeah. racetrack. So what does that say? It says that it's not always about money. It's about fan enjoyment. And that would be a fantastic. I mean, if you're going to do a race at, at Bowman Gray, a cup race in 20, you better you better plan it in 2024 because it's going to sell out in minutes. I promise it will. <laughs> It yeah, will. it would be great. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, hopefully we see something really exciting like that in the future. For now, we'll settle for, I say settle. I think it's still going to be pretty cool. The LA Coliseum Clash, or what are they calling it? The Clash at the Coliseum. It's a cool name. I'll give it that. It's a pretty mm-hmm. cool name for uh, the race next February. Well, Ben, this has been, as always, a fantastic hour of conversation with you, uh, all about tracks, schedules, past drivers, and much, much more. Uh, next week, I hear uh, you might have a new co-host joining you as well. So that's pretty exciting. It's been fun when I get to fill in, but.
but I'm excited to hear what uh what the future of a lifetime in NASCAR turns out to be. Yeah, let's it'll be fun. We'll see where we're headed. We might uh well, we'll see what's going to happen. We'll see. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's just a little tease. You know, I don't want to make any promises we can't completely keep, but it should be uh, should be pretty exciting. Well, this has been a lot of fun. Uh, on behalf of myself, Eric Estep, and my friend Ben White, you've been listening to A Lifetime in NASCAR. Thanks for tuning in. We'll be back here next week. Eric Estep here. This episode is brought to you by Forney Industries. Get it done with green. Forney offers a full line of welding and plasma cutting machines, metalworking accessories, and more. For do-it-yourselfers all the way to professional metalworkers, Forney has everything you need for your next project. Shop Forney's top-of-the-line products at forneyind.com. That's Forney, F-O-R-N-E-Y, ind, I-N-D.com, or at an authorized Forney dealer near you.